Hey, everybody. We're glad you've joined us. I'm Jonathan. I'm Jeremy. And we are the Evangelicals. We live in a very polarized age. I think that's safe to say. And if you haven't been listening to our podcast for a while, we hope to offer a perspective that is not far left or far right, but that is a third way, that is a good news way. That and is not a- even to provide all the answers, but just hopefully to contribute to the conversation and make you think maybe differently or from a different perspective or maybe something you already have known, but just to try to contribute to the conversation that I think people of God have been having for thousands of years. We begin with that preface today because the topic that we are talking about is one that is very polarized. Yet for those of us who call ourselves evangelicals, who are bearers of the good news, who are followers of Jesus Christ, there has to be a different way than the politically charged perspectives that we're receiving in news media outlets. There has to be a different way to have a conversation about immigration in the United States. And so we're talking today about immigration in the United States, particularly because of the caravan, the issues that are going on in Tijuana and San Diego in Mexico, where people have been traveling for weeks and months through Central America, some of them uh, leaving hostile environments, some of them leaving very broken economic environments, pursuing freedom, asylum, uh, citizenship, in the United States. Safety. They, 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 they want to feel safe. And what, what I think that as we go through this conversation, maybe a way to just to jump into it would be something that, that I feel like we have to do that I don't know that we do all the time is, and maybe this relates to, um, I think of the parable of the Good Samaritan, where I think we, we struggle sometimes to put ourselves in those people's shoes. And I think that the parable of the Good Samaritan, when Jesus told it, what was so shocking about it is I think that one way to look at that parable is I have to view myself as the person in the ditch. And then I have to ask the question, well, who's my neighbor then? And when I do that, it doesn't matter if it's a Samaritan. It doesn't matter if it's whomever, because if I'm in the ditch, I just need somebody whomever is willing to come and help me. And I think for us, sometimes it's difficult to understand what it would be like to try to flee a government where you're being oppressed or try to flee a situation where your children are being targeted potentially by gangs or people who are going to, who have threatened to kill them or threatened to do some harm to them. And 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 so if I was a parent and my child was under that um, oppression or under that influence, I would hopefully do anything I can to save my child or to save my family. And so when you look at it from potentially that perspective, um, it changes. But unfortunately, we come at it from ideological or political rather than an understanding of, of how do we really view this holistically. We like to have conversations based on Scripture. Right. And there are lots of different Scriptures that are thrown out by Christians who want to make political arguments about how to deal with immigrants. I think it's very important to remember that the Bible, especially the Old Testament, begins with a people who are foreigners and aliens. And there's this really, really important passage in Leviticus 19 that you brought up that is 
is a passage where God is addressing the people who have come into the promised land. And that's where, that's where we want to launch the conversation, at least from a biblical perspective today, and then we'll come back and talk about American economics and immigration policy. Yeah, and the passage starts, it's Leviticus 19, and it starts with the, the famous phrase that Jesus quotes in the Sermon on the Mount that I think Peter quotes, and so this chapter, Leviticus 19, begins with, I am the Lord your God, be holy, because I am holy. And then the rest of the chapter is kind of laying out what I think a lot of biblical scholars would say is this is what it looks like to be holy, because this is who I am, and yeah. this is how I would be um, among you. So in verse 9, uh, God is addressing the agricultural practices of the people in the land. And God says this, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap all the way to the edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not pick your vineyard bare or gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I, the Lord, am your God. And we see this as a practice that is commanded of the Israelites that even in harvesting, they're to leave some for the outsiders, for those who are not the ones that are the landowners, for those who are not the ones that have power in the economic system, but for the poor, for the alien, for the foreigner. I want to pick up later in the chapter, in verse 33, where God addresses the people as it pertains to strangers, to foreigners, and to aliens. He says this, When a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall not wrong him. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as one of your citizens. You shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God does not want the people of Israel to forget that they once did not have a land, yeah. that they once did not have a nationality, that they also were foreigners and aliens once. It's like he knows that if they, when they get the land that he has promised them, that there's going to be this temptation to, to hunker down. There's going to be this temptation to forget. And so he's trying to say, hey, I'm going to give you this land that I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's going to be yours. But when you get there... Be careful that you don't start to think differently about yourselves and about those who aren't like you. Um, you got to have the same understanding of, and, and, and again and again, and in Deuteronomy, we we're talking earlier, he has this phrase over and over, like, don't forget, remember that you were slaves, remember that that I freed you, remember that I'm. you're going to live in a land that you did nothing for, <laughs> and you're going to reap harvest from fields you didn't plan, and you're going to live in houses you didn't build. Don't forget that all this is a blessing, all this is a gift, because when you do, you're going to be in trouble of, of venturing into a mindset and a perspective that, uh, that is not holy, that is not being the people that I am asking you to be. Well, yeah, I mean, it turns into a spirit of entitlement, to uh, a spirit of control, to and of something that wasn't yours in the first place. This, for me, is part of the... Uh, this is the part of the conversation with immigration that gives me great trouble because just several generations ago, my family was immigrants. Yeah. And I'm so glad to live in the United States of America. I love the United States of America. I love this country. I Can I call it my country? 
I love I love my country. Sure. I love I love living here. It um it affords me many great blessings and privileges and um and I will teach my children to be thankful for the blessings that inherently are theirs as a part of the society that they're growing up in. But I also don't want to teach I want to teach them not to forget that just several generations back uh, their grandparents were suffering poor immigrants that were looking for a better life. And the reason that we are benefiting from a better life now is because of the sacrifice of people several generations back. And this is something that seems to be lost on the current conversation about immigration. I'm, for probably all intents and purposes, I'm a conservative. I grew up in Northwest Ohio, the libertarian ideology that just has been a part of the fabric of Northwest Ohio for the last 50 years. I just couldn't, I just can't get away from, I don't know how to, it's just ingrained in me. And I went and studied at a pretty liberal institution. I think I have somewhat of an open mind, you know, but I I tend to be just kind of a conservative in the way that I look at the world. But the thing that I don't understand about this whole immigration thing from a conservative perspective politically is why it's so important to shut these people out. When just several generations of, ago, so many of us were these people. Yeah, I think that that as we start to have this conversation, hopefully in a better manner in the church, what we will come back to again and again and again, and I think that that what is missing from the dialogue in our country is this sense of of once again, where, where are we ultimately going to find our identity? What ultimately is going to be the driving force in how we view other people? And 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 if we really are, we if we really claim to be um, a Christian nation, which you know I think we can have a whole podcast on that whole yeah. I understanding. Um, are is the rest of the world looking at us and and saying, doesn't look a whole lot like Jesus? Um, doesn't look a whole lot like you're representing the understanding of who God might be. And have we slipped into, once again, um, creating God in, in our image? You know, the whole phrase, God created us in his image, and then we returned the favor and created yeah. him in ours. Does my understanding of immigration look a whole lot more about how I feel and what I think, and I put that on God, rather than getting my understanding of how we view this situation from God and from Scripture and um, and if we if it's if it's the one where I create God in my own image, then uh, we probably don't have a great perspective on how do we handle the people that um, that that could be uh, living next door to us and what that that looks like. You bring up a really good point as it pertains to our understanding as Christians in America, and we do have this conversation as um, among uh, evangelical Christians this idea of a Christian nation. And the problem, the problem with talking about America in a Christian way is that, first off, politically, we have different parties that tend to represent different things. And if you understand yourself to be a Christian first, you then try to go find a person to vote for politically if you want to be a part of politics— and when you do that, it, it really, really, as a person with Christian integrity, it is very, very hard, if you're being honest with yourself, to just vote for a candidate because there aren't, there aren't any perfect candidates that represent everything that I want to be represented. 
So, so what we do is we choose to vote for someone that is representing the issues that we care most about. Well, in doing that, as Christians, we get this sense of loyalty then to the people or the group that we've committed to cast our vote for. And what's happened is we've really then started to marry ourselves to the agendas of those peoples that we've cast our vote for. And I don't think that as Christians, we know how to have conversations about what it means to be a Christian in secular politics because we try to justify the fact that we voted for people who have some different ideas than us and some similar ideas than us. And we're just very confused about what it would look like to have some to have a semblance of Christianity in our politics in America. It reminds me of a quote that I read on Twitter from Henry Nowen, which I find it interesting that dead people tweet. But um, <laughs> <laughs> he says this, we cannot love issues, but we can love people. And the love of people reveals to us the way we deal with issues. <laughs> and I think that if we could start there as Christians, how do we view people? How do we love people? And I think a lot of times, unfortunately, in politics, we we rail on issues. But when issues starts to have a face, um, it's not that we throw out morality or that we throw out the baby with the bathwater, but it has to take on a different nature and a different feel. And so unfortunately, like I said, I think a lot of times in the political world, this becomes about the issue of immigration rather than about the people of immigration. And so I think the first place as Christians, we have to change the conversation is we have to view and understand that all of these people are created in the image of God. And and when we start with there, or we start there, um, like I said, I'm not saying that we don't need borders. I'm not saying that we don't need some laws about immigration. But unfortunately, like I said, the the divisiveness of this topic is centered around an issue, and we have to get back to people and understanding and let that that start to help us understand more of who God might be calling us to be and how we handle this issue. I think you're right, and I think the Christian conversation cannot be one about mass immigration. The Christian conversation is about immigrants. Right. That's what the Christian conversation is about. And wherever you are politically, I can understand why someone would not want um, a criminal who is intent on wreaking havoc on the United States, who is from another nationality. I can understand why someone would not want them to be let into our country. Sure. As a Christian, I can't understand why someone would not want a mother, a single mom of children that she wants a better life for, fleeing from Honduras or from Guatemala, to come into the United States um, to find refuge. I can't understand why that person should be turned away just because they're an immigrant. And and really, you can't read the Bible and um, be okay with just dismissing those people, because the Bible throughout Scripture, God is very intentional about including those people as a part of his people. And I think, so for me, just a couple of stories. So we have a, a, a young gal who um, ran on our cross-country team, and her dad, her family's from Mexico. They got visas. They did it the right way. Her dad is a, of all things, a cow veterinarian, which 
we need those in Northwest Ohio, <laughs> to say the sure. least. Um, so I asked this this young lady several times over the past years um, that I've known her. I said, "Does anybody ever say anything negative or mean to you?" Now, granted, they've done it the right way. They they've got the like you know they're not here illegally. They're here on a visa, a work visa, or whatever. They're not citizens, but they're not. They, they didn't jump a fence. You know, they are here. And she says all the time, people say hurtful things while I'm walking down the hallway of the school. I said, you are kidding me. She says, no, it happens all the time. I said, <laughs> my human side said, please tell me who those people are because <laughs> yeah. I would like to have a conversation <laughs> with them myself. But I said, listen, if you ever need anything, I, I feel like like please come to me because I'm here for you. I, I, I want to do whatever I can to help you. And so the issue has a face. Um, I think I talked about this in one episode, but we lived in Arizona for four years, and the issue there is, is huge, huge. And, and you just hear about all of these ways that the authorities um, treat these people in inhumane ways. And as the people of God, that is not okay. Uh, if they're breaking the law, great, but you can't treat somebody like an animal just because you want to prove a point. You can't treat somebody like an animal. And so they were literally making the guys wear pink underwear and they were feeding them like green spoiled ham to eat and making them live in tent cities in the middle of the desert in the summer when it gets 120 degrees and and just not providing, once again, just the basic human needs. And so like I said, I'm not saying that those people shouldn't be punished on some level, but once again, we can't look at them as less than human. We have to start with the fact that those people are created in the image of God as well. The topic of the border is a topic that is hotly debated right now in American politics, and it's a very relevant topic to this conversation of immigration. And a border is a very interesting thing. We ought to remember as Christians that borders are things set up by the kingdom of this world. Not by the kingdom of God. The Psalms teach us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's all God's, from Russia to Indonesia to Mexico to the United States of America. It's all the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We do not live in the only holy ground. That is just, that's just not the case. And even as, even as Christians, as, as we read the text, I mean, if we're going to talk about a holy place, well, we would probably, many would agree that Mount Zion is referencing Jerusalem where Israel is, and if there is a holy site in the Bible, it's there, but that's thousands of miles away. That has nothing to do with our conversation right now. I want to I say something about the, the promised land in the Old Testament. There was, never, there was never set up on the land hard, fixed borders. Now, there were walls around cities, but all throughout the Old Testament— there's references to the fact that there's going to be foreigners and aliens crossing through. What we have to remember is the promised land, the, the nation of Israel, is one of the greatest intersections of human history. I mean, if you want to get from the east to Africa to the north up into Europe, you're crossing through Israel. The promised land was set up as, with an understanding of international economics. 
The Assyrians were always passing through, the Babylonians were passing through, the Egyptians were passing through, eventually the Romans came through, right? If we want to talk about, if we want to compare modern-day America to a promised land in the way that uh, the Bible talks about Israel as the promised land, there is, there is no precedent for having closed borders as far as the Bible is concerned. And that's just something that's troubling to me when I hear Christians talking about having a border conversation and saying, well, what would you say about the Old Testament? I would say the Old Testament gives plenty of examples of foreigners and aliens passing through this, the land because it was just natural geographically. They weren't separated from all other lands by two oceans like the United States is. You know, we only have, we are one of the few nations in the world that only border two other nations to our north and our south. I mean, we really have a unique thing going on for ourselves geographically in that way. And what if the land, what if, what if God knew that a lot of people were going to be passing through and what a great way to spread the good news as people are passing through, they hear about the God of the Jewish people. And, and what if it, what if the land was more about evangelism than it was even about having a place for the people of God. And and is that I, I don't know if that's what you were leading well, biblically, to. Biblically, biblically, that's a case that would be much easier to make, in my opinion, than that it's some exclusive property that only holy people are allowed to be in. Yeah. It, it was a way that that he knew like like you said, so many people were gonna be coming through that piece of land um to get to the Mediterranean Sea or whatever was right. around there that what a great way to spread a message and a gospel and a, an understanding of, of how the world works. Um, and, and I think that I was reading a book. It's, it's called Christians at the Border. It's a great read. And it's something that I think that that, that kind of goes along with this. But one thing he brings up, one point he brings up in the book is it's one thing I think that the church needs to think about is a lot of the people who are immigrants and coming are wanting to come to our country are deeply religious and Christian people, and how if if the church were more open and understanding that they're not just coming as as thugs and and riffraff, but there are some deeply spiritual people, deeply religious people who believe in God and believe that that He wants the best for the world, and and if we said, God, what if the revival of America is going to come through people? Who aren't even American in 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 by birth, but they're going to bring a message. They're going to help us open our arms. They're going to help us see them and see the world in a different perspective, because these people of faith are going to come in and be able to tell the story of a God who is faithful and a God, a lot like Israel, who brought them from a land of oppression to a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And uh, what if that story? could stir something in the hearts of the American Christians that would spread and do something crazy in our context. I'm not saying it is, but what if we had a different perspective on that whole understanding of, of what the people are bringing with them and realize they're bringing God with them as well? Right. So if we're, if we're going to make an argument about being a Christian nation and we want to make some sort of parallel to Israel, there's no place for a border wall. It's just, it's not, it can't be a part of the conversation. Now, if we want to have a conversation based on entitlement and control of that which we have maintained through war and uh, genocide of Native Americans and uh, usurping land, you know, from others, 
and we want to talk about controlling that and maintaining it, then the conversation ought to turn to borders and walls, keeping people out, keeping safe that which is mine. But there's, there's, absolute, there's not biblical justification for that ideology. And therefore, that's a conversation, even though politically, I'm close to people that would want to have that conversation— as a Christian, as one who understands myself primarily to be a follower of Christ, I have to say, you know what? This land isn't mine. Um, it's the Lord's. Uh, you know what? My family was once immigrants, and I'm a glad recipient of the gift of citizenship that was bestowed upon them generations ago. And it's not mine to hoard that which has been so freely given to me. And even if you wanted to say, okay, we need to know who's coming in and who's not, even if we get to the point where we say, okay, that's a good thing, I think it's still what's happened over the last week is a complete shutdown and a complete closing of the wall, of the of the border. At least for and several hours. Exactly right. Hours. And yeah. then um, tear gassing and, and doing things that don't, don't show that we want to welcome those who, uh, as you know, is often quoted on the Statue of Liberty: "The tired, the weary, the ones who are seeking a place of what refuge." What a beautiful piece of prose! Beautiful, yes, beautiful. And 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 so I think that okay. So you say, hey, we're a country, and we have to have rules, we have to have regulation. Awesome, but we we can't have them to the extent that we just kick everybody out, or that we push everybody out, or that we block anybody from coming in. And if we want to have a Christian understanding of what that looks like, the laws have to reflect, hey, there's a way to do it. And if you do it, you are more than welcome to be a part of our country. Uh, but it seems once again that it's, we don't want anybody else coming in. This is our land and and we, they're going to take our jobs. They're going to kill our children. They're, and it, it tend, turns more negative than an opportunity to be who God's called us to be. Well, that argument, let's, let's talk economics. Um, I grew up in a county in Northwest Ohio, or my family spent a couple of years in a county that has many tomato farms. And seasonal workers would come into the area and pick tomatoes because the fact of the matter is they would pick them for a lot cheaper than the people who lived around there would. And there wasn't one, there wasn't one person in that area that was concerned about losing their job as immigrants were coming in. What we... What we neglect or what we have erased from our collective memory in the United States is the fact that our economy has always been built upon the backs of people who were willing to work for less to make a better life for themselves and their family than where they came from. This is the story of my family. I wouldn't be surprised if back generations is the story of your family. Unless you were a colonial conqueror, this is probably the story of your ancestors if you're a citizen of the United States somewhere far back. And these people who are coming to the United States, they're wanting to work in restaurants. They're wanting to work in agriculture. They're not wanting to come. They're not, they're not educated enough to take the high-paying CEO jobs. Now, maybe their children one day will be, and good for them. You know, if they come, I'm, I'm not proposing anarchy I, I'm not, I'm, I, I, again, I love the United States of America. Um, but more than I'm a nationalist, I'm a Christian. 
as I'm and as I'm hearing this conversation, the way people are talking about these people, these immigrants, I'm just dissatisfied because I don't think we're concerned with with facts, and I don't think we're concerned with humanity as much as we are politically charged about issues that our candidates are representing. And, and some people have said that our economy would collapse. I don't know enough about all of that to know whether, you know, if you took out all of the the immigrants, would the economy, I, I don't know, like I said, I can't speak intelligently to that topic, but I do know that that there are jobs that Americans would not do, that an immigrant is just happy to do. Uh, dirty work, uh, cleaning hotels and doing sheets every day and, and putting that, that back together and and so I know that, like I said, there are things that if we didn't have them, I'm not sure we understand how much trouble our economy could potentially be in. Well, this is a problem in America. I mean, we are we are in some areas losing a good working class. So we have a shortage of people who are willing to do these low-paying jobs. And quite honestly, economically, we could use some help from people who are willing to get paid less then you or I would be willing to work for. So once again, uh, I lived in Arizona, and one thing uh, that we did every year that that most Nazarene college or most Nazarene regions do is a, a youth competition, a youth um, extravaganza, or you know we call it blast. Here has different names around the country, and so. And it's where teens do sports, they sing, they do piano, but they also can do um, soccer and basketball, all kinds of stuff. Well, we obviously uh, were at a a bigger church for Nazarenes, and so we took just a a stupid amount of kids to this event. Well, one thing we did is we had a lot of Hispanic kids that went to our church, so we had a soccer team, and we were good. Like, we were really good. And so the, the way we would get to Point Loma Nazarene University is we would rent vans. And so I always wanted to drive on the van with all the Hispanic kids. And uh, and and from Arizona to San Diego, which is where Point Loma is, you you literally have to go through border checkpoints with, with Border Patrol. And uh, they literally on the interstate have stations and you have to drive through. And so here comes this unmarked white van full of Hispanic kids and a white Caucasian guy driving the van down <laughs> I-8. And I'm going through these checkpoints. And I, it was just so intriguing. But I say all that to say... Um, you know, we're blaring polka music. I mean, it is the full full Monty, man. It is I, every year I was like, that's the van I want. And uh, the full Monty. But every time that we would pull up and we could see a border checkpoint coming up, it was fear, instant fear. And 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 you, they started saying things like, well, what if they check if we have our cards or not? Some of them so forgot their cards. What if they... They ask about our families. What if? And and it was interesting because before that, the polka music was blaring. Well, all of a sudden, it got turned like they turned it down. Like they were just so afraid of of what if they start asking questions. And I would just keep saying like, guys, I'll I'll, I'll take care of it. We'll figure it. You know. And it was, but just interesting how just the fear crept in. Uh, so then we were at Point Loma one time, and a, a, one of the the students got hit in the head playing soccer out on the field. And of course, you know, as a youth worker, your first response is we got to call the paramedics. We got you're going to the hospital. And I I kid you not, they were coming to us saying send them away. Like they he, this person can't go to the ER because 
his parents aren't legal and they're going to find out and they're going to, his parents are going to get deported. And wow. they, it was the fear of this, this child, this teen could have a major concussion and we're willing to forego medical treatment for this child because of the fact that his parents may get deported. And, and as a, as a Caucasian person, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. If you're hurt, you go to the doctor, you get better. And they were literally begging us to not let the, the, the teenager get in the ambulance because they were so afraid of what the repercussions could be, uh, could potentially be. You know, I think different arguments on that, on that story, you know, would be, well, you know, the parents, you know, serves them right. They put this kid, they put themselves and their kid in this situation. But the fact of the matter is, I am a parent that wants the very, very best for my girls. And I would fight to give them the best life that they could possibly have. And if that meant me doing something like immigrating to a place where I wasn't necessarily legal, um, I would definitely consider it if it meant that I knew that my kid was going to be able to be doing things like being in a youth group with you, going to youth events and just enjoying a lot of the freedoms and the ca- the things that we do casually as North Americans without thinking twice about them that people in other parts of the world don't get to enjoy. And uh, I think when when we talk about immigrants, when there's a face and a name, for people who are trying to make it in this world, we find people more as our brothers and sisters than them over there or than those people trying to cross into our country. And I think that what is what's so intriguing, once again, about just being there is – and I think that if we we're really going to have a good conversation about so what do we do with all of the people who are already here? What do we do with – the people who have crossed, and that's a big debate. Do we just send them all back? Do we raid the houses? Do we? What, what is our response as a nation? And something that this guy, uh, once again, the book was Christians at the Border, and uh, the guy that wrote it is M. Uh, Daniel Carroll Jr. And uh, you can find it on Amazon. You can get it on your Kindle. Um, but one thing that he says that I think is is so true, and something that I I know to be true because I've talked to a lot of the families when we lived out there, is we have to have a better process of getting from, for people that want to become citizens, for people that want to do it the right way, the red tape and what they have to go through and what they have to do is so ridiculous that it's almost impossible. It's almost impossible. And and so I think Especially that we... Especially if you don't have an education and don't speak the language. Exactly. And so I, I definitely mean, think there are things that, that we need to set up. Um, I, I met with some people out there when I was out there and you know they were talking about how you know, they probably do need to, to learn English, not a, not a big deal. That may need to be something that they need to do. Maybe they do need to pay a little fine. Um, maybe they do need to, to, to make amends on some level. But we as a country have to make it easier for them to take that journey. Uh, there was a family in our church who was trying to do it the right way. And years and years and years of paperwork and not knowing and being rejected and then doing it again. And and it was just such a difficult thing. And you want to look and say, these people are trying to do what you want them to do. They're trying to to do it the right way. And you just make it so difficult for them to uh, to make that happen. So our conversation has centered 
a lot around the border with Mexico. But the fact of the matter is the immigration issue generally in the United States of America right now is not just a border issue. People are coming into our country other ways than just at the physical borders, either jumping fences or driving across border patrol in cars, right? Sure. Airplanes. And and a lot of people will come to the country legally. They'll have a visa, a work visa, or some other, a study visa. And then the visa runs out and they don't leave. And and that is something that a wall's not going to fix. Right. <laughs> that and, and, and there's a lot... I've heard, and I'm sure people could debate me, and so please do if you, you feel the need, that, that that's a bigger issue and we have more immigration or more people coming into the country that way that end up being um, undocumented or whatever word you'd like to use rather than walking over or climbing a fence like you said. And so I think this immigration issue is way bigger than if we build a wall, we're going to be good, or we shut the border, we're going to be good. There's a lot of other issues um, or circumstances, I think that as a country, uh, we have to think through. But we've made it about, and more recently, we've made it about this caravan that's coming, and they're going to invade, you know, it's called an invasion, and they're going to yeah. take over. And and like I said, it was, it was set up in um, pessimistic, negative um, tones, which causes the country, like I said, automatically to go to negative thoughts about it. Rather than once again seeing it as, hey, we have a process. They're not just going to come in. We have a process that if they're really seeking asylum, they can get in. That it's not like they're just going to uh, to walk right over. Um, and so having a, a better understanding and a better perspective than sometimes what is given to us through media or um, politicians. We have not solved anything. As promised, we have tried to contribute once again to the conversation. But I think that that as I, I've been thinking about even just what we've been talking about over the past little bit, what I really think it comes down to as believers, as followers, as evangelicals, is it has to be about people. And the Apostle Paul really lays it out beautifully for us to to really think through how we view all of creation and how we view everyone as created images of God. And in Gal- the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3 says, uh, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. And for we are all, one, we in are all one in Christ. And and so I think he, he helps us understand. And that once again, as Christians, we have to get to back to the basics maybe of, of not just viewing this as an issue, but we have to view them as people. And it's the call of Abraham, which we just continue to reference on this podcast. In Genesis 12, God says, you are going to be a blessing to all nations. And as a citizen of the United States of America in the 21st century, I receive that promise. I am a part of the fulfillment of that promise. That Christ came a part of Abraham's seed and that I'm able to receive him in this country that is so far removed from the nation of Israel. But I've received that blessing. And as a bearer of the good news in the 21st century, as one who has been gifted with this beautiful life and who is a citizen of the United States of America, my call is also the call of Abraham to be a blessing in any way that I can to people of all nations. 
We would love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out to us at our Twitter handles, Thompson7Jeremy and Jonathan Berkey. The Evangelicals podcast is recorded at Lima Community Church in Lima, Ohio.